Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the Christian is called to clothe himself or herself with humility. Humility is to hold a low estimate of yourself. It's to carry an opinion of yourself that turns you away from yourself and away from your own self-promotion or your own self-interest and towards that which honors and promotes God alone. Now, God prizes humility because a humble person is not self-satisfied either. They are hungry for something that only God can satisfy. And so God says He dwells in a high and holy place and in the humble and contrite heart. So let's speak for just a moment about humility and where you find it, how you cultivate it in your lives. And let's just note one thing, and it's this. Humility is not found in a person who is trying to be humble. Right? In fact, the harder you try to be humble, the further away you get from humility. There are few things that are actually more arrogant and proud than that unique kind of pride that parades around its own humility and seeks to possess it or cultivate it. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, speaks of individuals who have developed a religion that creates all kinds of self-imposed starvations, all kinds of self-imposed flagellations, all kinds of experiences in which they deny themselves. In some extent, I think of a person who adopts or goes into some kind of Lenten season where they go into a protracted period of fasting or where they deny their bodies and their appetites of certain things they desire, he speaks of this kind of religion that imposes certain kinds of physical denial and starvation upon the being. These acts of self-denial, he calls them, this religion, a religion of false humility. He mentions it twice in Colossians chapter 2. Humility is kind of like submission. It's rarely observable. In fact, the wife who works hard to demonstrate that she's submitting to her husband is usually not doing anything of the kind. In the same way, an individual who wishes to be seen as humble is at that very moment failing to present themselves as they wish to present themselves. Now, So how do you get at humility? How do you develop humility in your life if you can't work at it? Well, let's find our way there. Let's suggest some things here. Let's at least find out where humility is cultivated. Not how to cultivate it, but where it's cultivated. Not what it'll look like, how you present it. In fact, I can't tell you exactly what it looks like. If I knew, well, it probably wouldn't be humility. Oh, John, he's so humble. Have you ever noticed, John, how humble he is? Probably not. Probably not. Humility comes... Here's the first one, in the presence of an almighty God. Humility is fostered in the presence of an almighty God. This is kind of paradoxical here, but humility brings us in the presence of God, and the presence of God brings us further into humility. This individual who grows in a knowledge of God will find himself fostering as he grows in his knowledge of God a greater and greater humility in his life. The more you turn from yourself and the more you turn into God, the more likely you are to turn from yourself and turn into God. 
It just works that way. The person who lacks humility in their life is demonstrating a lack of a knowledge of God. They demonstrate that they don't have a true understanding of the greatness and glory and goodness of God. The person who lacks an experience of God, an experience in the presence of God, is a person who is demonstrating a lack of humility in their life. Think of it this way. The theologian who demonstrates a certain kind of intellectual pride in his knowledge ultimately demonstrates the weakness of his knowledge. He might be accurate. His theological ideas, his creeds might be true, but he only demonstrates what he knows about, but not what he knows. Because if he really knew it, and he knew the great wonderful threads of that truth as they were driven into his heart and his mind and his soul, they would cultivate within him, they would create within him a hallmark of ever-increasing humility. In fact, the hallmark of an awareness of God is a momentum that we gain deeper and deeper into descending away from ourselves and ascending deeper and deeper into the heart of God. I would be skeptical of the spiritual attainments of any person who claims to be growing in a walk with God where you don't see an evident selflessness in their life. Actually, a number of years ago, I went on a visit to Russia. I stopped in the Ukraine, and then I went on from the Ukraine to Russia. And while I was in the Ukraine, I had the opportunity to attend what is the largest church in Europe. Uh, I was invited there. I, I didn't return. I was invited there, and um, I spoke to about 200 pastors that they gathered together. They wanted me to give some training. And so we spent a whole day of training on Saturday. The church's pastor wasn't there, but he was there. He had made sure that there were life-size images of himself on every major hall and every room in the building except for the sanctuary. I was given the privilege, I guess, of being in his study to do my preparation. And in the study, it was full, wall-to-wall, pictures of the pastor shaking hands and greeting different celebrities and famous people in Europe and the United States. He was all over the place. You know, I was glad for the opportunity to be there, to provide some instruction, to have some opportunity to speak to the young men who were working under this man, but I made a decision on the spot that I was never going to go back and work there again. just wasn't going to do it. Something isn't right in a situation like that. I went on from there to go to Russia. I went down to the area of Krasnodar in Russia where there was a new group of missionaries that were just taking shape as the church was kind of rising out of communism. Communism was just breaking open. It was in the mid-90s or the late 90s. They had brought in a couple that had been missionaries in Africa and then they had been missionaries in South Korea and they brought this couple to Russia just to be in Russia to cultivate the right spirit among young missionaries that would be coming to live in Russia. The couple wouldn't be there long enough to learn how to speak Russian at all. They were just there to mentor the missionaries that were arriving to work in these churches in this part of Russia. Clem and Maddie were their names. Wonderful people. I remember spending a day with them, eating in their home, listening to them pray, speaking about everybody but themselves, speaking about the work with such glowing terms, recognizing as you were with them that you were on hallowed ground and they weren't trying to it. I mean, there was no spiritual conversation going on. They weren't trying in any way to appear to be any special quality of people, but you just knew that you were in the presence of people who were practicing God's presence from a day-to-day basis and a moment-to-moment basis. The surprising thing was at the end of a meal that they had provided for us that was a very meager meal, they said, well, we know you have to go tomorrow, but before you go, we would just like to ask if you would pray for us in our work here. And I was with my partner at the time, Charles Cook, and 
we both looked at one another and we were shocked because the whole time we had been with him that day, we were thinking one thing. Before this day is out, we've got to get this couple to pray for us. We've just got to ask, if there's anybody who can pray for us, it's them. We want them to pour out their prayer upon our work and our labor and what God is calling us to do. And when it was done, they said, now we know you have to leave tomorrow, but there's just one thing that you must do before you, you have to pray for us. Well, they were the ones that we decided we wanted to work with over and over again. Here's another one. Humility comes in contemplating that we are dependent, finite creatures, that we're made by God, and that He as Creator reserves the right to be obeyed and feared. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. We need to recognize that apart from God's gracious gift, we cannot even draw our next breath. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as Creator. It says of Him in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that by His Word He holds all things together. The word there you'll see is sustains, but the idea is pulling it together or gluing it together. Think of all the atoms that make you, you. All the atoms that hold together this universe. And every system, and every unity, and you as a unity, you exist by the word of Jesus Christ. He holds you together by the power of His word. That's God. If it wasn't God giving the speech and the word, you would disintegrate and cease to exist. That should create some sense of humility. That should keep you from patting yourself on the back for your accomplishments. All things come from His hand. Life itself, breadth itself. Humility also comes from understanding that we're sinners. That's best illustrated in the story of the tax collector, and the publican, and the Pharisee that went up before the temple. The Lord Jesus spoke of them, you might remember. The Pharisee stood before God and at the temple and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. I give my alms, I offer to you my service. The Bible says that the tax collector stood afar off and couldn't lift his eyes up towards the temple and smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus said, the tax collector went away justified in God's sight. Humility comes when we recognize that we're sinners. Not that we're just individuals who sin. We're sinners. That the sins that we trace in our life are come from a place within us. Come from something deeply embedded in our natures that God must overcome and change and transform. Humility comes not only from recognizing that we're sinners, but it's recognizing that Christ died because of our sin. I think it's common that we talk about the fact that Jesus died for our sins. We speak about how that Christ went to the cross and how He was the sacrificial lamb that died on the cross for our sins. You think of the image of the sacrifices that were made in the temple for generations and how we might go to the time of the Passover feast and a family would come and an offering was made at the Passover feast of an innocent little lamb that they brought in their homes and they bring that lamb to the temple to be sacrificed and they bring it before the priest. The father representing the whole family was to lay his hands upon the head of that lamb the Bible gives specific instructions about how he used to do it. He was to press in hard upon the head of that lamb. And he was to say, this lamb, in a sense, this innocent, pure lamb is 
going to suffer the consequences of my sins. What God calls for, for the sin of my life, and that lamb was to be slain and sacrificed. And then the blood of that lamb was to be collected and sprinkled upon the people and sprinkled on the altar and access to God. Relationship with God was required through the sacrifice made by that innocent lamb. Remember when the Lord Jesus came and John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus? What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What we do when we come before the cross is we see that Jesus Christ is dying for our sins. The life of faith is one in which we press our hands in upon the Lamb. We don't say, I'll do this, I'll pray, I'll do good deeds, I'll give my alms, I'll make my sacrifices. No, He's the sacrifice. I press my hand in upon the Lamb of God. And I say, you are the one who's suffering. You are everything that every lamb that was offered upon the altar was anticipating. Every sacrifice that was ever made was anticipating. You are the fulfillment. You are the final sacrifice. The full and complete sacrifice for sins because you are the one true innocent, sinless Son of God. That's right. It takes humility to press in hard upon the lamb who died for you and because of you, because of your sins and mine. Stand often before the cross. Come often before the Lion of Judah, Jesus, who even now sits on his throne as a lamb slain for our sins. And you will learn humility. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Missions Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about how you can contribute to that work, go to traincpe.org. And to discover our Missions Church Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.